Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Only thing I'm plugged is Forgotten Seasons. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of Forgotten Seasons. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. I know it's been a minute since we had a new episode, but I promise it's been for good reason. Been steady working, building with Showtime Basketball, getting to work on shows like All the Smoke, like KG Certified. But today we are here to do Forgotten Seasons, and I am so excited for this one. We have 12-year NBA vet Ricky Davis walking us through his NBA journey. If we're going to keep it real, Ricky was a guy during his playing career that did have a lot of labels placed on him. I will say, and Ricky would probably agree, that some of those labels placed on him at that time were probably valid. But at the same time, a lot of them were excessive too. You can question and dispute narratives, but one thing that's undeniable is that Ricky Davis had game. When you talk about a microwave score, a battery pack, That is Ricky Davis. As you'll hear later in the episode, Ricky lived life by a very simple yet powerful motto, and that motto is, get buckets. Joining me on this episode is my guy, Jelani McCoy. If you don't know of Jelani's story, we'll probably just have to do like a standalone episode on it, but he has a hell of a story. He was one of the top ranked players in the class of 1995 coming out of high school. He ends up at UCLA, one of the best big men in school history, and then goes on to have an eight-year NBA career. Jelani and Ricky crossed paths more than once during their NBA career. It started in 1998 when they were both selected in the NBA draft. They entered the NBA during a lockout, so they could not report to their teams once they were drafted. They spent all summer, all fall together training until the NBA resumed early 1999. About five years later, they crossed paths again, this time in Cleveland. They're both on the Cavs in 2004, which is, of course, LeBron James' rookie year. Crazy and hilarious fact, LeBron James' first NBA bucket was assisted by who? Ricky Davis. I'm sure that would have been your first guess. And with Ricky, we kind of talked about a lot of different seasons. I know we usually stick to one, but Ricky played with LeBron. He played with KG, D. Wade, Paul Pierce, Gary Payton. So I feel like we kind of had to go through it all. I'm super excited to bring you guys this episode. Just want to say a quick thank you. I know some of you have probably been listening since I started this thing almost three years ago. So always super appreciative. I love Forgotten Seasons. Uh, I love that you guys love it too. That shit is amazing. And I'm going to stop talking. We're going to get into the episode. Forgotten Seasons with Ricky Davis begins right now. We got two members of the 1999 NBA draft class. Uh, first off, fellas, how's it going today? Man, it's going great, man. It's going great. Um, I just appreciate you guys for having me on the show. Um, and um, it's just good to to be able to, you know, talk about those great seasons and, and what's basketball culture. You know, we started that basketball culture. I'm happy to be here. I, Ricky's my guy. We came in together. You know, it's like a, a person I think it's perfect for, you know, a, this storytelling platform. So I'm just excited to be here and catch up with my guy. This was going to be fun. Absolutely. 
Let's start in 1999 with you two. Uh, Ricky, you go in the first round. Jelani, you go in the second round. But this isn't a usual draft. Uh, there's only been probably a, a couple times where you get drafted into a lockout. And this isn't like a traditional draft. Like usually, you know, you get drafted, you get the call from from the GM or, or, or the owner. You go to the team, you do your little press conference, then you're hanging around the team getting that off-season workout plan. But when there's a lockout, there's none of that. So Jelani, can you kind of just paint the picture of what it's like to you know, go into the, the NBA world into a lockout and then set the table for, for you and Ricky kind of coming into that situation together. I think going to the NBA world during a lockout, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, as much as you, for, for young players like us, 19, 20, 21 years old, whatever it is, you feel, you realize you're about to realize your dream, but while, as you're re attaining your dream and getting so close to it, the, the door is literally locked. <laughs> you can't go in and work out. You can't meet the assistant coaches. You can't meet a lot of the people during the season that are pivotal uh, in your career, especially for a first-year player. You need the community guy. You need the people to help you out with your apartment, your car, the whole nine. So if you got to be a real mature person coming into a lockout to, you know, be missing half the season and come into and come into uh, your rookie year, you know what I mean? Just we literally were only ready to play basketball. There were so many other things you had to worry about during the lockout because you didn't get your bread. You know what I mean? The bread that you did get, Rick can speak to this. If you got, if you, if you can get traded card money, other little things that, you know, first rounders, you know, or higher picks or guys with another another right to have, there was just a lot of uncertainty and question marks. So, uh, that's what you're, that's what you, that's what me and Rick walked into. And it's kind of like, uh, it's not set up for the best. It's not, they don't set you up for failure. It's just not the optimum situation you want to walk into your first year in the NBA. Ricky, you're 19 doing this, like, you know, grass is still green. Yeah. How did you get, how did, how did you enter that? And like, how did you really just get through that? Absolutely. Um, you know, the funny thing is I was, I was actually 17 when I first got drafted. Um, you know, the, the, the draft was in July and I didn't turn uh, 17 until September. Um, so so I was, you know, behind the eight ball and on both sides, um, you know, being so young, um, not knowing the business of basketball, um, not knowing anything, being 18, 17, 18 years old. And um, to to like 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 Jay said, to to walk into uncertainty and to have your dream to be drafted, but to um, to see it all almost come to an end in a blink of an eye um, was kind of just so weird, um, so unexplainable. But um, it, it was good in my sense. I got a chance to actually go out in L.A. and and work out and, um, you know, get to meet a lot of the people that was playing in the NBA. Um, so it was almost like my training camp um, for me. Right being able to play against these guys months and months and months uh, before the season started. Um, and he was playing. <laughs> he was playing. Who, who, who he was, was there? Hey, hey, he was playing. Hey, he was playing. He was playing around. Uh, a lot of my UCLA teammates, Toby Bailey, and Rick's thing was always like, he wants to know who's the best. That's how, like, as soon as I met Rick, like, I was like, you know, he's young, you know what I mean? Yada, yada. We both had the same agent, Arntel, but I did notice that he wanted to know who the best person was so he can get to him, like, right away. Mm -hmm. And he did that with Toby Bailey, Baron Davis, uh, all the, the UCLA team. Anybody who he came across that was in a pro or supposed to be a pro, like, he wanted that, like, right now, right away. 
Oh, shooting wow. drills, yeah, running yeah. drill, whatever we did, 17s, like he wanted that smoke like right away. I do know that about Rick. Absolutely. And that was it. Uh, I came in with, a, you know, underrated and, and from Iowa, nobody knew who I was. So um, having to have to work that much harder and and go out there and, and, and be able to prove myself was is something that uh, was a chip on my shoulder and I used it for motivation. Um, so the lockout was definitely uncertainty, but it was a plus. I was using it as a plus in, in, in my young, young mind. Rick, how nice were we were before? How nice were we before the lockout, Rick? Be honest. Oh we man, were, I, I, I was trying to tell Dale, uh, Dylan about purity. Yeah, purity. Purity. <laughs> Jelani used the words uh, "black Dirk Nowitzki" to describe himself. Yes, so, yes. There we go. Purity, and then the black Dirk Nowitzki. I want to hear. I want to hear your interpretation on both of those things. Oh man, and it was it was it. It was like Jelani was owning the paint from the bigs, and I was owning the, uh, uh, from the guards. And John Jaylon had this chip on his shoulder, and and I met him. I had a chip on my shoulder, and we just kind of you know, what he was going through and how they was disrespecting him at the end there at UCLA. And I just take my hat off to you for, for being such a professional and, and being low key. Cause most of the guys so young could have just snapped and went the wrong way. And you took it like a professional, you know, and, and my brother, yeah. Yeah. You took a professional. But I had you though, but I had yeah. you at the same mm -hmm. time I'm talking about from, from, from sand dunes, Ricky right. to yeah. weightlifting the TP to in the gym twice a day with Phil Weber, you know, working with the medicine ball, uh, yeah. playing in the men's gym, playing in the fitness center at UCLA. It yeah. was a nonstop roller coaster of just training and basketball. So you came into my life at the right, I feel like we both came into each other's lives at the right time. You know what I mean? When we needed each other walking into a lockout. But, you know, let's, you know, I didn't want to get sidetracked, but I appreciate you, bro, because yes, I feel like, you know what I mean? The love goes both ways because I feel like we came into each other's lives at the right time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Real. All right. So we're going into the the 80, the 98, 99 season. Uh, this is kind of post Jordan, pre LeBron. The NBA maybe doesn't really know where, where it's at right now. It doesn't have that icon like, Ricky, can you kind of paint the picture of just like the NBA that you were walking into with that? And then, you know, we talk so much just offline about how today, like in the NBA, you're walking in and you've got veterans talking to you about what to invest in and, you know, how to manage your money. But from what I've heard, that really was not the locker room conversation or just like the MO in the late 90s, early 2000s NBA. And again, you're a young kid, you're a teenager. Like what what is the state of the league that you're walking into in 1999? Yes, absolutely. Great question. Um, well, that was when I first walked in. And like I said, I was so young. I was 18 years old. I even had to move my mother and father down in Charlotte to, uh, with me, uh, you know, to just making major decisions. And, um, you know, that was kind of my foundation coming into that 99 year in Charlotte, um, having so many veterans around me like Eddie Jones and Bobby Fields, David Wesley, Anthony Mason, um, you know, Eddie, uh, Eldon Campbell, J.R. Ryder, or J.R. Reed, uh, these guys were just, um, you know, they were grown men and, mm -hmm. and they, this, this was their job. And I, I came in having fun, laughing, joking. And, and, and there were, where I realized that it was serious business. Um, so, you know, coming in as a young kid, half a season, I was so excited just to play. Um, whether it was 82 games, 50 games, 
I was so excited to play and, and, and got so much knowledge, you know, from those guys from day one um, and realized that it was it was serious business. I, I think that's where I first learned my work ethic, you know, showing up early, uh, two, three hours early, getting your work in early uh, before practice started. Um, you know, that's where it first all started for me. Who were the people like the two guard position in the late nineties, early two thousand loaded? Um, I think it gets better probably as your career progresses, as those other guys progress. But you're talking about Allen Iverson, Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady. Uh, who was the first person when you came into the league that might have busted your ass a little bit? We um, AI definitely, you know, um, gave me a run for my money. Uh, but just the guys on my team, Eddie Jones. Uh, <laughs> From day one, he was he was so skinny, so you thought you can beat him up, but uh, he was so fast and quick and so smart. Um, he knew how to play, and um, he was just guys like that. So I had some of the guys that was all-stars, uh, Eddie Jones, uh, Bobby Fields almost made it. Uh, some of these guys were all-star, Derek Coleman. Um, so being able to, but, but guys, I think AI that, that busted me up it was AI. Uh, Reggie Miller was David. Was David Wesley there with you, or was yep. he already? Just- Wesley was there. Yeah, but it was guys like that, professional mm-hmm. dudes. You know what I mean? Teaching you the tricks of the trade, not overtly mm-hmm. athletic, or you know what I mean. But like, that's a great, unique set of wings to learn things from. Now that I think about it, Eddie Jones, mm-hmm. Bobby Fields, you get in a mix of athleticism and the know-how. You know what I mean? Cross stuff. So. Now that I think about it, you were pretty set up in a good situation to learn from some solid wings. Some solid wings, yes, sir. Yeah. And then running out there chasing Eddie, uh, 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 Reggie Miller, you know, off them, off them screens my rookie year, I, whew, you know, you get to realize what kind of picks they were setting back in the days. Hey, Rick, like talk about that. that for a minute. Yes, let, let's stay with that for a minute because a lot of people don't think about the defensive side of the basketball, especially for wings, and you excelled on the defensive side of the basketball. So take us through in Reggie Miller's, like in a Reggie Miller situation specifically, how exactly tough was it to guard him on them singles and doubles and, you know, making him, you know, they try to say, make him go out the single side or whatever right. it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. How exactly hard? Who's setting the screens for him, too? It's the Davis brothers. Like, that's the, oh, that's the yeah. regular screen. Davis brothers. Um, who else did they have over there setting screens? Rick Smith. Rick Smith. And then uh, McKee. Was that McKee? The, 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 the Derek McKee. Yeah. Man, they would just go so super big. But just being able to to to, to be – they have to chase him, you know, off that one, two, three screens. Okay, then you chase him down good, and then he pass the ball and come off three more screens. Then you can't touch him. Oh, yeah. It was – and back in the day, those screens were – I mean, if you wasn't on the other side of the hip, you know, you could they, – they would hit you with the hips and the butt mm-hmm. and spin on you. And it was it was tough. So being able to guard Eddie Jones in practice, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of similar patterns. Was a lot of similar patterns helping me come off those screens and get on the opposite hip, and being able to just try to chase him down to the defensive to my defensive help. Um, you know that that was tough chasing those guys. AI chasing him off the screens, off all those screens, and then being able to sit down in front of him and he's lightning quick with the cross and the boop whoop, whoop. Oh man, uh, I was just about to say that you can chase him, but eventually, when you got to cut up, Reggie got a wetter, 
Yeah, I mean, the AI could either Mm. either let it rip or play with you. It was a lot of people in those pin downs, in those patterns that, you know what I mean? If you were behind a little bit or Mm. fucking get, like you said, the little, the little 90s scoot hip check that they they don't, they they call it now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That was good. That was good money. But uh, it was a lot, yeah, it was a lot of, uh, little idiosyncrasies that I I feel like that they had in the nineties between the wings that they don't have now. Right. You know what I mean? So you came up in the the super era for two guards. Yeah. It was a slower, it was a slower game. I feel like, like, you know, the the possessions mattered more, maybe more movement, maybe more of those, of those sets. It seems like now there's not really like super sets. It's kind of just go. It's just go. Well, it's the extra 30 some 40 possessions. There's not mm-hmm. a premium upon possessions. They'll come down and jack three straight threes up because you know they, that's the game nowadays. If back right. in back when Ricky played and some, when I played, some of the coaches, if you came down and chucked up three straight threes, if they went in or not, you either out or you know, something <laughs> different's gonna happen. You know what I mean? It's just it just wasn't celebrated like that. Right. So you really had to play strategic basketball. Strategic going at those mismatches. Seeing what we get, mm-hmm. and that's what we played uh, through. Before 2000, 2001, you're part of a blockbuster trade. You get traded with three former All-Stars, Eddie Jones, Dale Ellis, and Anthony Mason. You guys are going to Miami, uh, and then coming back is Jamal Mashburn, Otis Thorpe, and P.J. Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- memories of that trade, and then follow-up, you know, 21-year-old, uh, you would spend time in Iowa, uh, and then Charlotte, now you're going to Miami, whole different ball game. Memories of that trade, and then your first arrival to Miami. Yes. Um, it was, it was, it was a good trade. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really kind of, I think I was just a numbers thing involved in that trade, just kind of making the, the trade even at the point. Um, but they knew they had a good rook, but I think they was mostly between Mashburn and, and Eddie Jones. Um, but, but being able to go to Miami um, and, and to, to, to realize, you know, coming from Iowa, Chicago and Iowa and, and going to Miami was just, it was, it was amazing. Um, and, and being able to, to play for Pat Riley, um, you know, that was, that was really, um, I think my longevity in the NBA, um, again, going from a group of guys, um, that, that worked hard themselves to going to Pat Riley, where the whole organization worked hard. Um, you know, from the coaches to the to the to the valet to the ball boys to um, the heat culture, um, you know, to the the weight and body fat of of how to take care of your body and, and to the the psychological part of Pat Riley, um, you know, dissecting his players and being able to to learn the game from every defensive rotation, every offensive play. You know, I, it was the first time I ever seen a defensive book. You know, you got an offensive playbook. I didn't know we had a <laughs> you know, man. And it was just, I mean, it was amazing, um, you know, seeing that stuff and seeing every single coverage, but being able to have that my second, third, fourth, second, third year um, was just, it was, yes, it just went up straight up from there. Um, I remember talking to you during the off season because I wanted to know, like, about the heat culture. And I was like, man, is that, that shit real up there, man? You're like, Lon. <laughs> I mean, like, every – I learned so much about basketball and myself and, you know yeah. what I mean, and yada, yada, yada. I was excited to you. And that's when, you know, everything from there was all about, you know, yeah. competition and, and, and working hard. So yeah. um, that, that, would, that, that coming off of Charlotte – 
and then going to Miami and getting that 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 heat culture. I mean, yeah, that was I, it. That was that, that was, was, that was that, you started that was taking it. off from there. And I, I I feel you when you said that that started your longevity in the career because I feel like after Charlotte. Miami culture mm -hmm. cements you as a professional. What things to do? Everybody can't play in the Heat culture, right. and as for as much uh, as much as of a young player that you were, you survived that Heat culture and and and, and thrived in a real way. So hats off to you. Yeah, man, appreciate it absolutely. Because it, it it was tough. It was it was vigorous. It was discipline every day. Um, you know, it was uh, it was serious, and it. it it taught you really about the real business of basketball um, and then being able to go from team to team after that, just knowing all the defensive coverages and knowing everything that each coach wanted. Um, it was easy playing for all these coaches that I played for because I knew all the systems already and I knew all the plays and all the rotations. So because Pat, Pat and, and the whole situation was so fanatical, it prepared you to walk in any, any locker room and with any yeah. scheme, system, mm -hmm. personality, whatever it was, you feel like after the Miami, uh, after you got introduced into the Miami situation, it just set you up for the long run period. Absolutely. It just took me all the way to the top. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it just, I knew what work, hard work was. I knew what, you know, what, what my body needed to look like. I know what mm -hmm. to play 82 games. And 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 every like offensive coaching, you know, it was it was easy. I picked up on it so fast. And and when I got they playbook, I had already knew every set already. So and and he prepared you off, off the court, you know, gave you books about your life and made you start thinking about um, you know, real life. Um, it, it was it it was a it was a plus. So you talked about how playing for Riley kind of put you here and it set your expectations uh, of what an organization and a team is supposed to look like. Probably should have kept going up, but after one season, you get traded to Cleveland. And, you know, to put it short, the culture in Cleveland, I expect, is not the culture in Miami, probably quite the opposite. Uh, you go there 0102. So two years before LeBron comes, obviously, to get LeBron, you know, you got to be pretty bad as a team to get that pick. Um, what is it like kind of just like you experienced what a, a first class organization is like um, and then you get traded again and what's that you know four teams in it or three teams in as many years like are you just disappointed are you sad are you upset what what, what is that whole process like yeah um, I was I was thinking I was so young and I was just so happy to be in the NBA I don't even think trade getting traded was a it was a, uh, even a blink in my mind mm -hmm. Uh and and being able to go to different places, um, kind of the opportunity was getting better for me. Uh, you know, so mm -hmm. Miami, it got better there. Uh, so and getting traded to Cleveland now, uh, it got better there because I got a chance to play. Uh, but the organization, of course, definitely was, um, you know, a 360. Um, you know, and you got to see the laziness, um, bad organization, bad discipline. Um, and bad work ethic. Uh, but but I took that work ethic I had from Miami to Cleveland and um, it catapulted my whole career. Um, mm -hmm. I think I came became the points per minute uh, guy in the next couple of years and um, ended up just kind of working my way up. Uh, they were still trying to win a little bit. I think we had Wesley Person and uh, Lamar Murray. Uh, yeah. Guys were still tough getting it in and 
And, you know, I mixed in well with those guys, Andre Miller, and we went out there and we was rolling, um, you know, and I just yeah, I kept going. I think they traded Lamont. He went somewhere and I ended up getting a starting position next year. Uh, but but the culture was bad, um, you know, but I was on a mission to to, you know, keep going in my, my career. So um, I, I really wasn't even looking at the wins. I wasn't looking at the losses. I was just looking at my progression every year mm-hmm. um wouldn't let it get to me you know so some guys they had a bad season so that would predict how they would work out that summer um mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. I never fell short of that because I would go out you know back every summer with you Jay and we would mm-hmm. go right back to what we started um and that and that that helped our career as well you know every yeah. summer we went right back to where we were when we were first trying to get it uh yeah. you know and that helped us out so um, being in Cleveland that year, uh, those years definitely helped. But, you know, that year we tried to start losing and we kept trying to lose for LeBron. You know, I just kept doing me. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I kept doing. And, you know, it worked out good for me. How can – that's interesting that you say that. And I feel like some people like that. You have to do you in a situation like that. You know what I mean? Like you said, when you're in a situation where they're purposely trying to lose to get another dude who ain't never touched the court just yet, we know who that other dude ends up being. But, you know what I mean, at the time, it was just, you know, the guy, a high school guy we hadn't seen just yet. I feel like some sometimes people in those situations, they get um, – it's not it's not frowned upon, but they get – they don't get – they're looked at differently for doing them. You still have to set yourself up and your family up as a professional to have a, a good season. You're right. auditioning for some other teams. You've mm-hmm. had some success in, in this fan base. You know what I mean? So right. you're trying to secure, you know, probably you want to stay there for a little time. Everybody everybody doesn't mind to sign somewhere on the five or seven year deal and right. then move, you know, you know what I mean? So I feel like uh, you have been um, – put in different situations, but I feel like sometimes you, not as that is the bad rap or whatever it is, but I feel like the same thing that, that is your strength. Sometimes people use against you. A lot of players in, in those situations that move from team to team, that have different coaches, they use your strength against you. Mm-hmm. The strength, strength that you had to be a, 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 a consistent wing in an era that they were wings. You know, some of the legends of, of the position, was the same thing that they used against you. And they're always a journeyman. He goes to different locker rooms. He does this, he got there, but you still have continued success. And right. as a person who off-season would change because of how my season went, just to be very candid with you, you were with me a couple of times. Some of the shit that I went through would change my off-season. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be as vigorous as you would be. Oh, I, ain't going, I ain't doing it done today, Rick. You know what right. I mean? I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you back. At, I'll see you shoot. I'll come shoot, but I ain't doing the dudes and the diet and the other, you know what I right. mean? And, uh, right. and the other stuff. So uh, I, I don't know why that came to mind because it just seems like so many players that are successful and, you know, careers or the ticket journeyman labels or have different coaches. It's not their problem. It's, it's, it's the, the front office. It's a mixture of the front office what mm-hmm. the coaches have to go through, the locker room, and your gifts and talents being used against you. I don't know. I'm a vessel sometimes. I felt like I just right. had to say right. that. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, my brother, talking to you, I'm just th- seeing things on the opposite side of the spectrum. And, right. you know, things that people don't think about the players go through. Right, right. And that's it. They don't They don't at all. You know, they just see the other picture. 
Uh, but they don't see, you know, what guys got to do. And like you say, secure their family and secure. It's a business. Um, you know, we feed our family. And that's mm -hmm. when I first got in the league. That's what the same guys were saying. That's how we feed our family. You know, mm -hmm. so, so, you know, when guys coming in, we heard it every season since my rookie year. You hear guys losing certain teams to get certain draft picks. You know, that was just the motive, you know, but nobody, like you say, knew how somebody was going to get panned out and stuff. But that's how sometimes a bad rap gets in, in, in the play because that person's doing them in a bad situation. Or Rick, they hit you with a good player on a bad team. Mm. Remember that empty stats, em yeah. empty stats. Empty stats. If he's right. playing on a bad right. team, right. put him on a good mm -hmm. team. You can cut that in half and put it over here. It's right. those labels right. and narrative that have your career dipping up and down. Dipping up and so down. I, I, I got, I got one. Like, do you, do you hear that, Ricky? Like when you, when you're playing and you're, I mean, it's different than it, than it is now with social media. But like, there are articles being written labeling you with, with certain terms, like. Are you hearing that? Are, are there any like articles in specific that you remember that just like irked you or, or how do you deal with that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I used it for fuel for fire. Um, you know, everybody's got an opinion, you know, and I, I would always let it roll off me anyway. Um, I never really would let it get to me, uh, but I would always use it for fire. Um, you know, I, it would always question me like, you know, what where, where did they get it from? Uh, you know, but I get it. You got to use something. Some want somebody has to be a downfall somewhere. I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, I just would, would let it. You know, roll off, roll off, and just uh, you let it let it fuel. You know, my whole career. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, go back and work harder and do what I got to do. Take care of myself. So so oh three oh four. You guys are both there, Cavs. Uh, you know, we got to talk about it. LeBron recently passed Kareem. Uh, you were there from the mm -hmm. beginning. I actually saw Ricky. You posted that. LeBron's first basket was assisted by Ricky yeah. Davis. So forever you're you're in the history books. That's dope. But I mean, yeah. so much has been written about LeBron's entrance to Cleveland and what the people inside the locker room were saying and thinking. They still talk about it now. Jelani hit on it earlier. Like, yes, it's LeBron James, but to you guys who are are, are pros, like it's a high school kid coming in. What right. what 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 memories do you have from you know summer fall of 2003 when this high school kid is coming in? Yeah, I got I got a lot of memories. Um, you know, it, it was like 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 Jay said, you know, it was it was a high school kid coming in, you know, so and we knew what high school guys, what high school kid will win a championship in the first two years. You know, it, not none. Um, and it still never happened the first two years, first three years, you know, never happened. So um we knew that getting a rookie wouldn't right away change things dramatically. Um, and um, for them picking it, we get it. You know, you want the rookie, you got to get it. That's fine. But um, to kind of destroy everything that was going on and the nucleus and, you know, destroy everybody that you had around there, um, I didn't think was the right thing to do on that part. That's fair. Like I said, these these are these are friends, teammates. You know what I mean. These are people putting their body and you know taking mm -hmm. their time away from their from, uh, families every day. You know what I mean to put W's in the in the in the column for for your organization. So, like I said, you can't uh, you can't forget about the human side of what goes on in the locker room. You know, 
said talent is being trying to uh, walk through the door. The front office has uh, its own situation. Um, do you remember that first game in Sacramento, Ricky? Yeah, I do. I do. Do you remember? Did did do you did you at all feel like the, like it was different dur- during that game? Like the atmosphere was was different. You know what I mean? During his first game in Sacramento, there's a lot of eyeballs on him. It's probably you know there's probably one of the most probably watched. I don't know the exact stats, but it had to be one of the most anticipated anticipated thank you Dylan anticipated <laughs> rookie uh uh debuts in NBA yeah. history do you remember the atmosphere that day it was it was amazing um mm-hmm. it was huge it was it was so huge it was like quiet it was yeah. and, and you know it was it, it was weird um you know the whole game was just kind of it was weird, Jay. Um, Everybody was anticipating everything. Like as soon as <laughs> as soon as his, his LeBron ones came out of the the tunnel, like everything, what it was, Ricky. Everything was just real slow. Slow motion. Him in the layup lines, mm-hmm. his dunks in the layup line. <laughs> what is he like during this time? Like you know, he's a fresh face, and you said everything is on him. Is he just? Is it just normal? Like. Nah, he was uh he was excitable. Yeah, he was right. Dancing. So what I remember, yeah, he yeah, he was dancing. He was like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah. laughing with you. Then he'd go to the next locker room and let the next locker and laugh. You know what I mean? It was like and everybody else was like, Yeah, all right. He was he was nervous, but he was handling it so much with dancing, it was just so like slow motion. Yeah. It was slow motion and it just right before like- he walked out, I used to think it was me. You, I don't know if it was D Miles who was on that team, but right before he walked out, he tried to go out without his headband. Mm. And I remember we were sitting out right outside the door. We stopped. I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. young fella, what you doing?" Yeah. Uh, he was like, I- "I'm going out." We was like, "Where your headband?" Headband. Yeah, yeah, you know. He was oh, like, "Oh, yeah, I'm trying yeah, to start yeah, something yeah. new." It's like, "No, no, 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 no." Uh, Everybody uh, know you for the headband, bro. Yeah, you got to talk to go, baby. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> And I'm that was when he didn't he didn't have to he didn't have to cover up the hairline back then. He didn't. It was Chris. He had the high school grade. Yeah, he still had it a little bit, you know. Yeah. We all still had it. Look. We all- <laughs> exactly. Uh, speaking of speaking of accessories, I came across a picture the 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 mid 2000s that one of my favorite things about it was just the the accessory culture, specifically the sweatband with the number. I saw a picture of you. You had your number. I think it was in Boston, 12, and then it was Get Buckets. Can you explain, like, just the culture of the armband, leg band in the 2000s, mm-hmm. and then just the, diff- yeah. the different the different shit that you would put on it under your number? Yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, that was that was my thing. I started it, uh, I started it when I first got in Cleveland. Um, I started 31 Get Buckets. And I started putting it all on my shoes and putting it all on my wristbands and rubber bands. And um, I just I just started it. And, you know, I, I started looking around in the league and started seeing everybody with numbers and names and different kind of different kind of things on them. But, um, you know, I had the headband with the bands with the bands. Uh, you know, that was that was my look. Um, Which was also the bands were also people. A lot of people don't forget the bands. You, you were probably a rubber band wearer too. 
Mm-hmm. The, rubber, the, the, the bands okay. came around from the from the rubber bands. The dudes couldn't wear the rubber bands anymore, so they turned into those bands. So, like a lot of the night, like I'm saying, a lot of the accessories in the wing came from Ricky and his <laughs> generation. The yeah. sleeves, the calf uh-huh. sleeve, the one calf sleeve, mm-hmm. the armbands, the, the headbands, yeah, yeah, the the messages, the even the stuff on the shoes, mm-hmm. because that was really when I think you were with and one then. Yeah, and one. Yeah, that M one was really Pre-ball. the only one. Of, yeah, but yep. they were really the only ones giving up the IDs like that. You mm-hmm. had to be Kobe or somebody else or Nike to get an ID. I remember when with the, with the M one guys, you guys usually had your name, mm-hmm. your number. Yeah, yeah the player, the symbol on them that you wanted. Exactly, yeah, and everything. Yeah, I think we started them bands. Everybody used to wear them bands. WWJD. Remember that. That was the first band to touch the league. It yeah. was What Would Jesus Do? There you go. Yes, sir. That, 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 that's, right. a, that's, also, that's also in the whole Livestrong era. The yeah, Livestrongs. Yeah. So everybody yeah. started having them WWJDs. Yep. So, just, so just so we're clear, we can report that Ricky Davis did start the nickname on, on the armband. Oh, I have movement. to concur. I have to I'm concur. not. I'm. Hey, I, I'm not trying to spin anything. I'm just. I'm just saying what I hear. And you, can see, you, see me LeBron, you can see us with Lee LeBron at halftime. You can see us on there with the get buckets on there with us. I had it yep. for a while. Yeah, that's dope. Um, um, go ahead. On that team, uh, on that team, LeBron's rookie year, the first time I had been cut from anything in my life. You know what I mean? But that's another story. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was killing, too. I was oh, killing, too. We, killing. Uh, oh, um, uh, Dewan Wagner. Mm-hmm. We yeah. just had a chance to see. I hadn't seen Wani Ricky since Cleveland. Man. And I had a chance to see him in New Jersey in his hometown. His son is wow. phenomenal. Yeah. Number one player in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, hadn't had a chance to see Wani. Uh, get, let, you spend a lot of time in practice and in games with Dewan Wagner. For the people that don't know, mm-hmm. tell us how talented Dewan Wagner was. Man, now you're talking about an official bucket getter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and at that size, I mean, from from the from the handle to the jumper to the floater to the to the I mean to the layups, the kid was he was amazing. He was amazing. Mm-hmm. And he could score that ball. He could shoot that ball. Uh, when he came in, he was just like undersized, but so fast, but but could attack the rim. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never really seen a guy like that that could score that ball like D-Wag was when he came in, man. And um, it was kind of sad to see him when he got sick, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that year. Uh, but he was definitely going to be something special. Oh, without question, and yeah. I, I I agree with you. It was not, it was nothing short of uh, amazing. Some even when he didn't have it, when you could tell he didn't have you know his full, you know, chi or spirit in him. Some of the stuff like you would do here, mind you'd be like, oh, that's what. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. There, was there a comparison? Like, was it was it shades of anybody? Was it? Because how tall was he? Like six two, six yeah, one. Like six, it was. Six he was foot. six two, yeah, six six one, six two at the most. But it Rocky, was strong. The the AI, but with the physicality of Derrick Rose, mm-hmm. right? You can't knock him off the basket line just because he's shorter. You know, he was a little bounce too. 
It was he a little bit, bounce, of but not like dunking bounce, but like it's kind of it's like bro. His it's kind of like his his kid is the same exact way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know if he can shoot as good as his dad, though. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't get there. I'm I'm glad you said that. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, yeah. So transitioning out of Cleveland, you get traded 20 games into that season, uh, but then you go to Boston. And when I was just going back looking through your career, like it was an, an amazing stop for you. Oh four, oh five, your runner up for sixth man of the year. Uh, this is Doc Rivers' first year. Gary Payton is there, which I think people forget. Uh, so this is, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably the first time where you're like playing big minutes on a good team, number three seed in the East. Yeah. Uh, what was that whole team and season like? And then maybe speak on playing with guys like Paul Pierce and Gary Payton. Yeah, that season, that was, you know, that was a very interesting season for myself. Um you know, going into Boston, I think I was starting the first few first few games, maybe 20, 30 games. Um, I was starting, coming in, starting, playing, playing with uh, right next side to Paul Pierce. And Doc came in and he pulled me in the office and he said, Rick, I think I'm going to pull you off the bench. And I was like, um, huh? You know, like, what? <laughs> you <laughs> like, said what now? Yeah, like what you <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh he like, uh, um, you know, I'm gonna pull you off the bench and uh um, you know, just to let Paul kind of get going a little bit and you know, cause I was so quick at it. I didn't need no plays, I didn't need anything, but it would it would take Paul a while to get going. You know, Slow. you know, you know, P needs to come into him, take his time, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, 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 you gotta get going. But when you threw it to me, I was gone already. Bing, wow, that boy done scored moving fast. So he said, mm-hmm. Rick, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take you off the bench and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you in five, six minute mark. You know, and I want you to come in like like you come in off the game, like you do to start like the start of the game. I want you to come in just full speed, right, right, right. Okay. What you do. And I was just like, it was weird at first. And I was just like, okay, he said, but it don't matter who start. It matter who finish. You'll be in the end of the game, finishing the game, you know, but I just, I don't have nobody coming off the bench and it's kind of, it's it's messed up. And I said, okay, all right, all right, well, I'll try it. And I say, I was, hey, how did you receive it? How did you receive that, Rick? How did you, because they say that's what Doc is good at. Every time we talk to Matt and everybody that's playing for Doc, they say that he's good at establishing people who are in their row. How did how, how did, did did that go over well with you? Were you like after the way he presented it to you? Were you like, all right, all right, I'm gonna I'm try the this. He, and the I'm way like, he presented to me was amazing. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it was amazing. Yep. But when I went home, when, I mean, when I when I heard it, it, it wasn't amazing in here. I mean, right. he presented it and everything was cool, and he said everything. He said everything he did was, and he did it. But it when I went home, it wasn't it ain't set right. The bench is the bench. It's the yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the right. But so I couldn't wait for the next game, you know, just to go out there and see what 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 this really was gonna be. And so I mean, I couldn't wait to go out there that next game. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. So I went out there and did what I did. And we won, we won good. And Doc pulled me in inside and he said, That's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, I was just thinking to myself, I was still pissed. Like, I should be a starter. But the way the game went, I was cool with it. You know, I went in five, six minutes. And when I went in, 
when it kept happening, what happened as, as that happened, it, I accepted it. When I started accepting it, it started working. So it, he, he presented it really well. But what happened was he created something with me and the fans. Because now once the game started and they knew that they knew they needed the game to change, they started cheering, put Ricky in the game. <laughs> so that's where I became and started my Ricky's Renegades and get buckets, guys, with my fans mm-hmm. and all that stuff in Boston. And um, it worked out great, man. I ended up almost winning the sixth man of the year. Um, and that's where I realized to kind of start trusting the coach. Um, and knock at that, um, you know, cause, um, at first it just wasn't right. It didn't, it just, it didn't resonate with me. Right. And, and I felt that it would help. It would worsen my career. I'm not a starter. You know how it is in the league as a starter. It, it, it felt like something was taken from me, but as the season went through and, you know, um, it, it, it felt really well, uh, it fit really well with us and, EP and all of guys. How about Gary Payton? You both oh, played with him. What, 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 what was your Gary Payton experience? Uh, it was a unique style of leadership. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's amazing, man. Um, yeah. He don't take no stuff, man. And uh, he demands. He demands and he controls. Um, and it was good for us because we needed somebody that could control us, P, Chuan, and everybody, mm-hmm. yeah, T.A., Young, Perk, we had all these young fire starters. Um, and GP was like a second extension of Doc. Mm-hmm. So um, he kind of was like big bro and put everybody in line, made sure everybody was on track and everybody was straight. Uh, so I, I love GP, man. I love his leadership and, and the way he get down. In today's NBA, they would have let you two cook on the wing, a la Jason Tatum mm-hmm. uh, and Brown. If y'all is Paul, they wouldn't have split you and Paul up. You yeah. were, I feel like, you know, as they would have needed that, they would have left that energy alone. You know what I mean? And, and, and yesterday's NBA, they had to separate that. And today's NBA, you can put fire and water on the court at the same time. You know what I mean? It's just what what's your scheme is. You know right. What I mean? You just don't yeah, and back and back then. Like you said, Paul liked to have that wing. You know what I mean? He had a couple plays that he liked, you know what I mean, to give him that wing so he can hit you with, you know, with the, everything that made Paul Pierce hit a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, but it's dope to I was going to ask you this. So is it safe to say that the city of Boston, the fans and the city and the, and the fan base at Boston had a lot what you're doing uh, falling into your success uh, as the six man? Did the fans oh, and the in the community of, the, of Boston have something to do with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I almost became a fan favorite in Boston, uh, you know, with, with the fans and, and just doing my foundation stuff and, um, you know, reaching so many families out there and um, having my fan base, I end up buying like 20 tickets for um, a fan giveaway each game they came, and you know they it was it was real fun, man. And um, I think that the fan base almost helped me get drafted. I mean, not drafted, but helped me pick get that six man of the year mm-hmm. award. Um, you know, just by helping me and cheering me on, and you know, asking the <laughs> cheering the coach to put me in the game. Playoffs three seed, you get the Pacers team who's pretty fresh off the mouse at the Palace. Our brother Stephen Jackson is coming back into the picture. That's a seven game series. You guys end up losing. What do you remember from that team in that series? Like 
you know, everybody knows what happens with that team that season. What, what was their what was their energy like? Yeah, that was tough. Um, yeah, that was a tough series right there. Um, you know, them boys was deep. Uh, we was deep. Um, and and you know, they had the experience, I think, from them just being all together. Um, I think that's kind of what catapulted them to win. Um their experience at those close games. Um, you know, we had we didn't have a lot of experience that first year. And I think that we we I think we could have closed it out that game six. I think we didn't close it out. And I think that's what messed us up. Um, I think we blew a couple nice little baskets, a couple free throws or something. I can't really remember, but uh we should have closed them out when we should have, you know how that goes, and and we didn't close them out. <clears throat> and they used that, they used that as fire and they came back and they they hit us on the head. Mm. They was tough. They was deep. They was tough. Uh, that was I one mean, of them series that, you know, that first move didn't work. Um, you know, ooh. you had, <laughs> that's you real. One, two, three. You know, and expose what was open. Um, and if you didn't, you know, they was tough, and they got on you. So they did. They didn't have their toughest player either. Uh they didn't have their toughest player either because our, yeah. our test was suspended. Yeah. They they didn't. So, uh, but they still had the 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 mindset mm -hmm. of our test. Uh, mm -hmm. tough. They was deep. They wouldn't beat you up top. They wouldn't beat you down low. Um, and, and um, uh, that point guard. I can't. What I I keep forgetting his name. Um, Ted, Travis Tinsley? Best Tinsley Jamal Tinsley. Oh man, he just yeah. the IQ. Mm. The IQ of just yeah, yeah, just 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 so smart. Not athletic, but just so smart. He kept him under control at the end, and and that's what that's that's what that's what we that's what happened. Mm. Uh, so kind of wrapping up, uh, you get traded the next season to Minnesota. Uh, from pictures, it seems like you know even after your time in Minnesota, you and KG were were boys. Like seems like you guys got along. What was your KG experience? That's kind of, you know, what is that, like year eight or nine for him in Minnesota? He had that run a few years before with Cassell and Sprewell, uh, but now the team, you know, isn't a playoff team again. But what was your overall experience like in Minnesota and with KG? Yeah, it was it was good. Um, you know, not a lot of people know, I, uh, before I signed my Cleveland deal, I actually got offered from Minnesota. And that was before they got Sprewell. I got offered to Minnesota. But Cleveland matched it, so I had to go back to Cleveland. Uh, so I had already wanted to be there with Flip and all those guys and KG already. So when I got there, I was I was already like, all right, I'm here. You know, and um, it, it was amazing. That was when I thought I worked hard. Um, mm -hmm. I thought I had an amazing work ethic uh, until I met KG. Um, the work ethic of that guy um, – Every practice, every minute, every play, every second um, is amazing. Um, and how how he does it is just, um, it's amazing. And, and I thought I had a work ethic, you know, showing up every day, every practice, you know. But, I mean, this guy's playing 42 minutes. And then the next day he's practicing every play. And, I mean, like, you know, coaches like, sub out. And he like, sub yourself. You know, you get out of here. Mm -hmm. Sub somebody else, you know. No. And then, like, they pulling me to the side like, Rick, can you get him to <laughs> at least sit out for a couple, you know, plays or something, you know. 
we need him for the thing. He like, Rick, don't listen to that shit. You know, don't listen to that. <laughs> you know, you sub yourself. You know, he kept telling Mikael, get out of here. He keep trying to come sub me, you know, and I was just looking at him like, man, I mean, it's amazing because I was sitting on the side icing when I first in game. I was, man, <laughs> and then he out there practicing, and I'm like, man, the next day, he got me practicing. So now after games, I'm practicing every play, every second, and I thought I was, yeah, but no, yeah, that that was. Hey, uh, Rick, Rick, how much is that wear on the other half of the team? That the people that can't keep up with that type of pace, like you were had a you had a mean work ethic, but he obviously took himself to almost biblical portions. He went Old Testament with his. <laughs> how, how much of it does it wear on the rest of the group? The rest, like, there's people like you that's like, all right, but well, I'm going to ice now. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? I feel you. I'm going to try this a couple of times, but I ain't going to be doing this for 82 games plus playoffs. <laughs> right. How much does it affect the other locker room? Do you Or have you seen it affect, you know, the, the five, six, seven guys at the end of the bench? Is it stressful? to be like, I can't work like that. And he's supposed to be the leader. And is he going to look down on me? Cause I can't yeah. wake up at five and do the stuff that he's doing. Like from what you've seen, is it stressful for the, for, for the rep, for the five, six, seven, eight, what the, the rest of the half of the bench that can't do the things that you two guys can do. So I think for maybe a few of them. Yes, it does. It where it, it wears a few of them out only because for so long, they think they probably can't do it, you know, and, and they locked into a certain way and they they won't do it. And I think it wears on them. But like for certain people that are coming in and certain dogs that's coming in, I, I think it I get I think it's I, I love it. I loved it. Um, it, it, it helped me out because it got me back to Miami. It got me back to we play great but now we got something in a couple of days coming up here so we got to get ready for it so you know you played great last night that was great but we finna practice <laughs> it got me back to that and for some people can take it and some people couldn't but it does wear on it wears on people it wears on organizations now because now coaches don't know how to work in their subs or get their subs work or people at different positions so it does wear at different people you play with Gary Payton and Kevin Garnett two straight years. Who are you taking in a in a trash talk seven game series? Gary Payton or Kevin Garnett? Oh Jesus! Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, you 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 got to flip a coin. Yeah, yeah, you got to flip a coin. Nobody's yeah. gonna. No, because one, 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 everybody, everybody, nobody gonna stop. If there'll be no limit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, neither yeah. one of them stop. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wins. The world loses when that happens because the nuclear bombs <laughs> will never cease. Yeah. <laughs> For real. You stay, they won't, you wouldn't be able to get what you're trying to achieve out because they won't yeah. they not stop. Mm, yep. Yeah. They, they, they both gonna win. <laughs> so wrapping up, uh, you know, you said you go back to Miami for one more stop. You get to is, – is Pat Riley still the coach there? He was uh, the coach for a quick second. It was what like happened? Uh, Stan. I think Stan, mm -hmm. uh, Stan was there. And then uh, uh, they got rid of Stan and uh, – uh, I think St Stan was there, and then Pat came back. He came back down. He came back down because – no, hold on, hold on. 
Because this is, I mean, this is Wade is hurt this year, uh, and then it they, was. I think it was. I think it was Stan left, and I think it was East Spoles. I think we had Eric. I think Eric was coming in. Eric, was yeah, because Sp- Spoelstra takes it over the next year officially. Yeah, and that's was it sort of like a they won the yeah. championship. But I think before that, Stan was, and then Pat came in, and he knew he was going to win it, and all that, and all this, and and then uh, so I had, I think East Bow was there. Pat was back there still kind of, you know, moving his fingers a little bit back there. Um, and they were still, we were still ch- trying to chase that ring. But um, Shaq and D-Wade kind of, they fell out a little bit that year. And, you know, I was like, man, what's up? Not this year. Don't fall out right now. You know, I'm over here trying to get to that ring. And, um, you know, but it was a good season. Uh, we still, we still fought it a little bit, but it, it wasn't right. I think Shaq left a little later that season. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't right. Before we let you go, Rick, and I know uh, before you, I know you might have another question, Dylan. But before we let you go, um, I want you to talk about going circling back to the men's gym. I want you to talk about uh, for two questions. I want you to name your top five all, all mm-hmm. men's gym performers, right? Because you were in there every year, every summer. But the first one, I want you to talk about your specific matches, matchups with Kobe Bean Bryant, mm-hmm. both in the men's gym and Memorial and Memorial High School, you know what I mean, in Santa Monica when they were doing the men's gym. Talk to me a little bit first about the matchup between you and Kobe in the men's gym and Memorial, and then we'll move on to your top five uh, men's gym performers. What was going on between the matchup between you and Kobe and the men's gym? Oh man, that was that was like a war right there. That was oh. um, you know, going out there um every day with that guy. Um that was amazing. Um yeah. being able to, you know, and it was free, wasn't no coaches, wasn't no refs, wasn't no nothing. We can actually just go at each other every play. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was amazing, man, because I, I couldn't stop him, you know, and, and, and the only way I could stop him was to go back at him was yeah. my, in my in my mind, you know, because I, I, I was playing like I could stop him, but I knew I couldn't stop him. I was just playing yeah. on the miss, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was there on him. I was there on him every move and every tub, but I knew. Because I knew when I was moving and I was going that he couldn't stop me. He couldn't. He was there. He was there. But I think it uh, when we played each other, I think we took it to another level. And it felt like we was in a championship game. Every, Every As soon as he walked through the door, man, he'd be having his shoes. Come on, Rick. Come on, I'm Rick. I'm already in here. I'm already in here. He was, you know, been in the lab. I know he'd been in the lab waiting. Mm-hmm. And and, the, and he just didn't miss. He just didn't miss. He just didn't miss. And the great part about it was just letting y'all two go at it. With the unknown basketball rule, was like, nah, this is a thing. This got to happen. You know what I mean? Nobody was calling for the ball and nobody coming down there looking for a post up or something. Right, you know what right. I mean? It was like it was more like, nah, this we gonna we gonna cook, you know, get a miss and kick it back out and let them go back at each other. And it was some talented people in that gym. It was, man. It was it was everybody was in there. Everybody everybody. Everybody used to come. Did you play? Did, did you 
Did you play against Magic? Were you were you playing? Oh man, yes. <laughs> and to tell you, we used to have the squads going at Magic. It, we we lines, we used to go at them every every but what stopped us? He used to have this thing, what is the three foul rule? <laughs> the three foul rule on one possession, and it's a point. It was a bucket. Oh that and Paul tells a story. Paul tells a story, told the story on this ATS episode of how he would call it the game point foul, no matter what. No matter you can what. Go down, you can go down there and throw it off the glass and do a windmill every, because you're so happy to beat Magic's team. And then all you hear is, Paul, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, bring that back. Oh, bring that back. back. That's yeah, cool. That's, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. That's a yeah. way to show yeah. your athleticism. <laughs> bring that back. <laughs> and they always so, yelling, it's game point. And I'm like, man, that's cheap, man. That's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going crazy. Crazy. Going yeah. nuts. And he says, Hey, chill out, Iowa. Bring that back. <laughs> <laughs> Who are the top five performers in the men's gym every summer, Rick? That you can remember. Who's Ricky Davis's top five men's gym performers every summer every summer? Position put yourself up. Yeah, you can put yourself. You can put yourself on there because you was one of them. I was in there. You was one of them. Go ahead. Ooh-wee. And it might not be who you think it is. Like I got a couple of randoms. Would you be like really? But I'd be like in the men's gym in the summer. Yes. I'm gonna say. Ooh. Okay. For sure. Me. Yep. You. <laughs> my brother. Kobe. Come on. Mitchell Butler. For whatever reason, he got to be up there. Yep. Paul? Definitely Paul. Paul, because he would mm-hmm. come from the dunes and he would be getting buckets. When he showed up, he wasn't there the whole summer, but when he yeah. showed up, when he came was from over. the dunes, he was. Lamont. Yep. Lamont was a killer. We need a top eight. <laughs> top yeah, we do. We, we need to do, because there was B. Russ. Yeah, there was B Russ for whatever. B Russ, Russell. <laughs> it was really these uh, random players. Who was coming there? Look, look, what about uh, uh, Derek? What's little Derek left hand? Derek. Derek Martin. Uh, Hollywood. Hollywood Robinson was frying in the Mad Jam. He was doing anything that he wanted to do. Were there Man, cameras? Yeah. Were there were, were there cameras back then? Did people? Were, were, oh, was any of no. this on tape? None of it, because there we there we needs to wish, be some sort of project and documentary footage. <laughs> oh, something! Yeah, we'll even take the security footage. We don't oh, have none of that. Man, like, it's literally like hooping in a library. Yes, for real. Yeah. No yeah. footage. Nobody was taking pictures. Nobody even had the phones. We might have had the briefcase phone or the little mm. T-Mobile boy. Yeah, sidekick. T-Mobile sidekick. Yeah, yeah. man. My, my last question for you is the Steve Nash dunk. You oh. had a few dunks. I mm. think your your strategy when you're on the break was just to put your knee up. And if it yeah. goes through the dude's chest or head, that's cool. But Steve Nash, <laughs> I, I don't know if he sat out a few games after that or subbed out, but relive the Steve Nash dunk for us. Because I think that's one of the just the craziest dunks ever. Yeah, yeah, man. That was that I, I was I was rolling that that them like that that them two months. I was like just I, I was just jumping. I don't know what happened. I was just I was just flying, you know, because like two weeks before that I had just dunked on Charlie Ward. I mean, yeah. Just like that, almost just like that, but it wasn't so much 
But I don't know. I was just in the zone. I got to get in the zone in a fast break, and then I don't really see nothing. But all I could see was just him backing up, like kind of retreating instead of stopping the ball. Because usually I get the steal, and they'll kind of stop the ball, and I'll give it up to try to get it back or give it up to try to get the lob, you know. But he just kept backing up and backing up and backing up. And I was just like, ooh, I'm going to take off. You know, I'm going to take off. And I just took off. And, you know, if you slow the film down, I almost broke my neck. So the, oh, shit. If you slow it down when I'm dunking, I almost was going down. But as I'm coming up, my left hand grabs the rim and it straightens me out. So I'm going down. As I hit Duncan, I was going down and it straightened me up. And I come down like... Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's where the oh, that's where it came from, man. So if y'all watch the film, you'll see me going down. But that one little slight little hit of the rim, it brought me back, man. But I don't know what Steve was thinking. I don't know what he was doing taking that charge. He wasn't. I'm a I'ma slide in one because I feel like I need to and I want to hear it and I haven't talked talked to you in a long time. You're a coach now, right? Yeah, how when you have when Ricky Davis, the coach and the man that he is now, goes back and looks at the triple double attempt, <laughs> how do you, <laughs> how do you, yeah, yeah, I know you good, I know you let shit roll off your back, but when you as Ricky Davis says, is that just a moment and you just roll it off your back, or do you sit back and look like, uh. Yeah, I was tripping with that one. Like, you know what I mean? How do you, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, even even before I stepped into the coaching, I was already yeah. like, I was tripping. <laughs> Bro, you know, yeah. man, just, um, yeah. Well, you know yeah. what? You're really thinking, Trick. Uh, you yeah. know, uh, but to see it now and see it over and over again is just like, I was really hood. I was, you say you could take the hood out, the, the boy out the yeah, hood. Yeah. I was really still at the park that day. But it was a story to that. That was almost like my fifth game away from a triple-double. Whether it was almost happening away or one assist away. It was like the fifth straight game, 32, 29, 11, and 9. And, and so five minutes left, somebody yelled out, Rick, you need one rebound. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm about to get this. Yeah. I look up, it's 30 seconds left. No rebound. Yeah, you're not lying. You're not you're not lying. I'm man, looking at the yeah. too. <laughs> hey, so I would have did it too. Mine was <laughs> in the hood, in the park. I was gone. There's a great uh hey. have you oh. have, have you have you seen what Jerry Sloan said after the game? Yeah. Have you he had oh, a great yeah. he had a oh, great, yeah. he had a great yeah. clip because because uh Deshaun Stevenson like basically tackles you after that. Yeah, he hit me hard. Yeah, they hit me hard. And they were like, What are you doing? They thought I was embarrassing them, which I did, but that's what I can tell my kids now. You know, you gotta get out your box. You know, you gotta mm -hmm. get out your box while you're playing. It's it's more than just your box. You playing with it for the it's a team, it's 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 one goal, one unit, one one win, you know, and I, I was in my box at that moment. And if I wasn't in my box, I would have just got the ball, you know, and, and it wouldn't – I wouldn't know the effect I caused 
you know, embarrassment to me, my team, my legend, my you know, and all that stuff. I don't think your career is going to. I think you've done way too much on the basketball court to let that moment, you know what I mean? We can laugh about it now. We laughed at it then, you know right. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you just told the explanation, you know yeah. what I mean, right there. I was back somewhere else in my in my element for a I minute don't. because, you, uh, you know, a, a triple-double means a lot. If you're flirting with a triple-double, the backstory to that, means a whole lot a lot of reason why we do uh why we do forgotten seasons to get people's insight as to things but mm-hmm. i just want you to let you know as a basketball historian as somebody as a friend as somebody who's played in the nba and watched the greats and watched you go up against the greats your story your legacy can never be affected by one you know what i mean for 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 that moment in time or any other i was there you know what I mean? A, a lot of people talk about you got journalists, people in the media, people that have been around the team. But I, as a person who was there and witnessed these things, I think your name goes hand in hand. Statistically, might be one thing, but as far as talent level, work ethic, and putting together a, a, a career, a body of NBA work, yours goes up there with the rest of the generation of two guards from who you learned from, who you competed against. So, I just wanted to tell you that and give you, you know, flowers from brother to brother. I've, you know, I've spoken to you in a long time, but, you know, just watching your career, knowing what you went through to get to the NBA, what you went through during your career, you could have easily been a six point or eight point a game score. You know what I mean? But you did things your way. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? You elevated your play every year. You elevated I feel like basketball at the end of the day because your competitiveness and your drive. So just mm-hmm. going to it, knowing that I know as a former player, when we look back on silly shit we did, we like, man, what was our home? Man. And it affects the way you think about your career. Like you forgot right. you was cooking the best of the best for as long as you could, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right up until, you know what I mean? You couldn't cook nobody no more or they didn't want you to cook no more. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, so that part. So, I just want to, you know, as we as we come into the close, give you your flowers and, you know what I mean, and hats off to you. I'm so proud you're a coach. Man, you have a lot to offer. Day, yeah, man. you, you forgot that. a lot, a lot of basketball that you have so much to offer on the court, off the court. You're philanthropic in the community, Ricky. You know what I mean. Congratulations on your big. Are you still playing in the big three? Yeah, still playing the big three. Yeah, I know Let's you're go. the leading scorer. I know you like the the leading scorer now. So yeah, congratulations man. and continued success with all that and health. Man. And you know what I mean? We appreciate you coming on, my brother. Man, I appreciate you so much, Lon. I thank so much, man. And for you, yeah. same thing, bro. Uh, just yeah. to watch us grow up and what you've been through and all that stuff, man, and and how you handle it and how you professional, how you took everything and, you know, uh, used it as your fuel and your fire and, you know, your background and where you come from. Uh, yeah. You know, hats off to you too, brother. I love you, man. Sure. And I appreciate yeah. y'all having me. And thank you, bro. Yeah. I love it. Sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, no. Uh that's it. I yeah. I, I can't say I can't say anything after that one. So I'm gonna cut it after that. Hey, I'll I'll say I'll, I'll say something for you, know what I mean? Forgotten seasons, man. This has been a platform. This is cathartic for people like me and Ricky and former players to talk to each other, scheduling mm-hmm. families, you know, people getting out of touch like me and Ricky will forever be linked as family and we don't always get to talk, you know what I mean, like that. So uh, hats off to you, Dylan, you know what I mean, and providing, you know, a platform where we can come be ourselves and have, you know, feel comfortable sharing stories and, you know, 
catching up with each other. So you don't have to say anything. You started for God's sake. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate it. I appreciate that, man. We need it. Uh, my pleasure. And this was great. Ricky, thank you for your time. Thank you, bro. I appreciate it. That is a wrap for Forgotten Seasons with Ricky Davis. This is your host, Dylan Dreyfus. I appreciate each and every one of you tapping in. Be sure to drop a rating and a review if you like that one. I will be back in two weeks with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. If you don't know Mahmoud's story, look it up, or you could just tap into Forgotten Seasons when he's on in a few weeks. You really can't go wrong. Be sure to check out the rest of the Showtime Basketball content library, man. We got so much in circulation coming every week. All the Smoke, What's Burning, Ticket and Truth, Ariel Hawani Basketball Show. You can't go wrong. Tap in. Leave a rating or review. I'll catch you guys in a few weeks. Until then, peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.